0: Chapter five of for fifteen years by Louis Albach translated by Elizabeth Warmley Latimer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter five. Roger It was the month of June, the evening was fine, it was lovely enough to delight even those who profess not to care for nature there are moments of silent harmony in life when storms seem lulled to rest as soothing music drowns all other sounds dinner was over at the chateau de la hapoix the inhabitants of the chateau were sitting in chairs in the garden placed on the lawn before the entrance gate waiting the arrival of the traveller his mother had resisted the temptation of going to meet him at the station she was unwilling to desert her battlefield even for an hour for who could tell what might happen if her husband were left alone with madame emilienne she always dreaded an electric shock between the two which might bring down destruction on the household besides the jolting of the carriage might have caused the rose in her hair to fall to pieces it was already wilting and had lost some of its leaves it was due to florence to take good care of the ornament of which she had deprived her they sat waiting in a silence which each one of the group though occupied with his or her own thoughts interrupted occasionally by some insignificant exclamation as a note is sometimes struck in the dark upon a piano to remind oneself and others that one is there still and that no one must go away what a fine evening how sweet the smell is from the forest how much longer the days are getting i think it will be fine to-morrow such were the remarks, senseless in themselves, but necessary to keep up a sense of companionship, that were exchanged by the actors in this scene. How strange that no one dared to speak of him who was drawing near, and whom each one was expecting anxiously with a different emotion. The shadows of the wooded mountain, which bounded the horizon behind the gardens and the little park, grew longer and longer, and seemed to reach out toward the family group as if they desired to take it under their protection or was this passing into the shadow an evil omen gaston complained that it was getting chilly but his wife did not suggest to him going into the house in former years he had been a great smoker an amateur a connoisseur in cigars now he had difficulty in smoking one cigar after dinner he would let it go out he would revive it when it was almost spent by breathless awkward sucks and puffs and in the end would fling it away from him disgusted. That evening he had flung his cigar away almost as soon as he began to smoke it. He yawned, he rubbed his stomach as if oppressed by his dinner, and he kept looking anxiously to the right and left at his wife and at Madame Mortier, as if he felt himself a prisoner and wanted to make his escape, but was conscious that escape was impossible. At last he threw his head back on the cushions of his chair and seemed to gaze up into the heavens, but the wide blue expanse above him seemed to frighten him. He closed his eyes. Since the night when we first saw him, Gasteau had greatly changed. Old age had fallen upon him, drop by drop, through all sorts of channels, leaving on his brow and on his cheeks stains of mold, such as one sees on ruined walls. His hair had become thin and gray, his nose had grown pinched and sharper at the nostrils the effect of an habitual fear a fear which made him as it were always sniffing the wind to ascertain if there were danger in the air in any quarter while the bone had grown more arched and prominent his eyes roamed restlessly in their large orbits for a few moments they might remain quiet with a look of settled sadness then fear of notice would put them again on the alert and they would recommence their melancholy motion. There were no marked changes in Gaston's personal appearance. Only time seemed to have touched him with a rude and heavy hand. His mustachios were a tawny gray. He was always pulling at them, and as he never curled them properly, they had grown bristly and no longer covered his mouth. That mouth, which never was quite closed, had often sudden spasms, sudden contractions and contortions such as are sometimes the premonitory symptoms of paralysis or apoplexy since taking up his residence in the country monsieur de monterey had adopted a hunting costume which never varied and which seemed to serve as an excuse for his equally slovenly manners not seeing any one not going anywhere he had no need for any change of toilet he went out shooting now and then, and as his nervous malady, so Gabrielle always spoke of his habitual prostration, might expose him to accidents, his wife was always alarmed when she saw him set out for the forest on one of these expeditions. He very seldom, after his long rambles, brought back any game, and still more seldom an appetite, but sometimes, when the weather was close and stormy, he would come home hot and panting, with a sort of terror in his eyes as if he had come across a spectre in the forest or as if the shining stag of st hubert had reappeared to warn and terrify him as a slayer of innocent creatures in these grand old forests of the ardens gaston had grown much thinner his hands like parchment had nothing but skin over their bones except great swollen veins that crossed and recrossed one another and the bones moved about perpetually like the keys of a piano he spoke little, deliberating before speaking, and always slowly, and in a tone of authority. His hearers were free to fancy that during his long pauses he was making ready his next remark, but the oracles that issued from his lips were of the most coarse, rough, commonplace description. His chief part in the conversation was a series of, I choose, I don't choose, I want you, I forbid you, and so on which nobody would have taken much notice of, had not Gabriel made it a point to have all his wishes carried out by others, and to set them the example of obedience. The thing most to be dreaded about M. de Monterey were his terrible fits of anger. They were frightful when they occurred, and had generally no reasonable exciting cause. A dish of meat too hot or too cold, a dog that jumped upon him when he did not want it, a door slammed and so on would be the occasion of a burst of fury it must be said however that he never got angry with persons but only with things gabrielle alone witnessed to the end those semi-epileptic seizures in which gaston beside himself would foam at the mouth and knock about the furniture from an impulse to strike something with his hands when an attack seemed coming on madame de monterey would carry off her husband would shut herself up with him in his own rooms and the other inhabitants of the chateau would hear nothing of his wild frenzy except distant noises deadened by passing through several walls madame jean mortier as i said had no direct intercourse with gaston during the earlier years of their residence under the same roof there had been a time when she showed signs of justifying a jest of monsieur henriand's viz that she might try to put herself with gaston on a footing not exactly of flirtation but of confidential intimacy he on his part finding her pleasant and pretty had by degrees forgotten the debt he owed her a debt which he might some day be called upon to pay and treated her with considerable gallantry but by degrees this game having no heart in it grew intolerable to both parties Emilienne drew back and he gave up his attentions she always spoke to him politely but very gravely not wishing should time ever justify her suspicions to have one smile to repent of standing always ready to fling in his face when the day of retribution came her vengeance her hatred and her horror gaston like an imbecile fancied himself authorized by this line of conduct on her part to treat her with a sort of contemptuous indifference which relieved him from embarrassment to him madame emilienne apparently became nothing more than a housekeeper who by an excess of charity was admitted to his table while her daughter he considered a pretentious little person who by rights should have been made useful in the kitchen pride is the only drug that lulls remorse it is not an infallible remedy but it may soothe the guilty spirit for a while the first time we saw florence we remarked the large forehead of the little girl who dared neither to play nor to laugh in her father's dismal shop and who was therefore reduced to living with her dreams the childish defect of a too greatly developed forehead which in young girls and young women is apt to become a serious obstacle to beauty in florence at twenty was something that if not exactly a charm was a mysterious suggestion which awakened curiosity as an indication of mental development and a habit of reflection her hair was almost black like her mother's and it was arranged with a skill that was artful in its simplicity over the smooth forehead which it partly concealed by its soft ripple thus diminishing the proportions of that too prominent feature her eyes had generally a sad and quiet expression the resigned look of a recluse but when sadder than usual they had a touching softness and when a flash of thought illumined them their brightness was startling her mouth was correct in outline and mobile in expression large enough for smiles when either inward amusement or pleasure called them forth but it was small enough to keep intact the innocent secret of her life beneath the tender smile of unconscious maidenhood florence was not taller than her mother but her figure had a delicacy that Emilienne's had never had i might say it had acquired an artificial grace if i were not afraid of being misunderstood i only mean that the poor upholsterer's daughter had been brought up in madame de monterey's household in a school of good manners and of easy carriage grace cannot be acquired but it may be greatly cultivated and gabrielle had been the model of florence from her babyhood her admiration in her childhood and her adoration as a young girl notwithstanding the difference of coloring of features and of everything else several times florence had been taken for roger's sister the modest daughter of gabrielle this mistake every time it had occurred when gabrielle and florence were paying visits together had given infinite pleasure to both of them but though both were proud of it in their secret hearts neither would have liked to speak of it even to the other this likeness which third parties could perceive had its roots in the affections gabrielle felt throes of maternal feelings as she gazed at this pretty well-behaved intelligent young girl whose opening life had been watered by the early dew of weeping and florence had instinctively a daughter's love for the excellent mother who had fashioned the soul of roger but these feelings did no wrong either to roger in his mother's heart nor to madame mortier in that of florence no word had ever passed upon the subject but both florence and madame de monterey felt themselves charged with a duty somewhat similar yet very different one had the task of watching over an unhappy spirit the other over an embittered one each was trying to bring into sympathy those dwelling in one household each was willing to suffer could she suffer alone that evening florence was somewhat grave but from time to time she cast caressing furtive glances at gabrielle gabrielle sat motionless her eager eyes were looking straight before her through the great grill which was the entrance gate of the chateau to the meadows beyond the meuse whose waters they could not see though it was little more than two hundred yards away from them deep down under high banks where its course could be traced by a slight mist rising along its edges and beginning to creep up the avenue, like some vapor in a legend which the night expected must valiantly pass through. Florence first caught a distant sound, differing from those noises which are the music of the silence of the summer evenings in the country. She turned her head toward Madame de Monterey, and her look, which perhaps Gabrielle was watching, told the mother that her son was drawing near there is the carriage cried gabrielle rising i hear wheels she was not saying what was untrue but she had unconsciously taken away from florence the credit of hearing the carriage first she saw that her son was coming in the young girl's eyes it is time he should be here said Gaston in that unaccented metallic tone of voice which belongs to the deaf and dumb when they have been taught the art of speaking I find it getting very cold. The fog is rising. It is very bad for my rheumatism. Gabrielle set out alone to meet Roger. Gaston, from a sense of his own importance, he was becoming quite futile as he grew older, and also because he now walked with considerable difficulty, only drew himself up into an attitude of expectation in his chair. Florence, at a movement of invitation from gabrielle had risen and would probably have joined her but emilienne laid her hand upon her arm simply not reprovingly not harshly but without speaking and florence taking the hint sat down again drawing her chair closer to her mother's to prove that she was obedient and that her heart was not flying forth to meet the newcomer madame de monterey went to the great gate and passed through it on to the road now she heard the carriage distinctly the noise of the wheels increased as it rolled along the pavé of the highway. In five minutes the Tilbury, which Roger was driving himself, drew up beside Gabriel. A servant took the reins from his young master's hands, and Roger sprang out eagerly, clasping his mother in his arms, lifting her even from the ground, that he might hold her closer, have her all to himself, and press her to his bosom dear mother dear mother he cried in that soft voice of childhood which comes back to young men in moments of great happiness he covered her with kisses her cheeks her neck her hair as if he wanted to give and take all he could get while no one was looking at them gabrielle made no resistance this moment of perfect happiness was as new to her as the expression of strong feeling on her son's part was rare roger had been a caressing child petting those he loved silently and gently, but he had early grown serious and thoughtful like his mother, who also, when still young, had become pensive and melancholy. For a moment the fog was lifted from the souls of both, and thanks to the silvery mist that rose up from the mews, they had a minute, no less than a minute, a few seconds, of liberty, of love, and of mutual understanding. Gabrielle had foreseen, some hours earlier, that the rose placed in her hair by Florence would not survive the return of Roger. Shaken by his vehement embrace, it fell to pieces, and its petals dropped from the mother's braids upon the lips of her son, who seized a leaf as it was falling, bit it, and swallowed it, little guessing from whose hand that sacred rose-leaf came. Gabrielle said nothing. She drank in happiness through all her pores, those kisses helped to assuage the wounds so often made more painful by salt tears yet even in that moment of intoxicating happiness in the enjoyment of a bliss that was her due she remembered other people and hanging on to her son's arm she drew him gently toward the group sitting as when she left them as roger drew near emilienne and her daughter rose and took a few steps forward to meet him monsieur de monterey remained seated in his rustic chair with the air of a grand seigneur, seated in a state on a sort of throne carved with armorial bearings. Roger became chilled for a moment, while he accosted his father, who held out his long, thin, clammy hand, and said stiffly, Good evening, good evening, my son, shaking him by the hand in a manner which he considered suitable to his dignity on the occasion. Did you have a pleasant journey? The train was behind time. Roger was quite accustomed to the amount of parental tenderness to be expected from his father. He made no effort to impinge upon his majesty. He replied that his journey had been very pleasant, and that it was true the train was late, and then making a slight bow, as men do at the close of an audience, he turned toward Florence and Emilienne. He offered both hands to Madame Mortier, and with a cordiality which was neither too much nor too little, took both hers in his, and shook them and having thus done his duty turned to florence who had drawn back a little and taken her hand from her mother's arm with a certain instinct as wishing to have her greeting to herself roger smiled softly and tenderly on the playmate of his childhood and approaching her he said simply are you quite well dear florence yes and how are you roger quite well he did not hesitate to offer her his kiss. She did not hesitate to turn her cheek to him. A kiss always marked an arrival or a departure with these young people. For fifteen years he had not failed in giving her brother's kiss on such occasions. They connected no dreams of the future with this sign of the familiarity of the past. A kiss warmer than a friendly kiss had been given by Florence that morning to the hair of Madame de Monterey and by roger that evening to the rose-leaf he had swallowed have you written out many accounts for slate buyers and timber merchants of late asked roger laughing yes indeed and you have you brought home many pictures i am going to try to paint some here they said thee and thou to each other like brother and sister husband and wife schoolmates cousins or very dear friends in france without remembering that they were now too old for the familiarity of playmates. But nobody had ever told them that they now ought to say you. Possibly they would have found it sweeter to say you than the thou they had been taught as children. Gabrielle would not disturb their minds by any hint upon the subject, and Emilienne felt it more prudent not to remind them that they were now a young man and a young woman. What was the use of awakening a consciousness— which would have given another meaning to the kiss and to the toutoumois, monsieur de Monterey was the person most likely to censure this familiarity, but he dared not carry his authority to that extreme. Now that he had welcomed his son and played his little part of head of the household with suitable stiffness and dignity, Gaston, who kept up the fiction of a rheumatism which might be made worse by a river fog, rose called harshly for his valet, and prepared to re-enter the house. "'Shall you stay some time with us?' he said to his son, turning round to him, as he left the group, but with no sign of being very desirous of a favourable answer. "'Possibly, mon père. Ha! Ha! Then you are not quite sure of your intentions.' "'My intentions? Oh, yes, I am, but circumstances. You are afraid of being moped to death among us before long.' oh no not that you are quite mistaken then what are you afraid of if you stay roger had a sudden impulse to explain his meaning but he mastered it and said calmly my stay here depends upon an answer i receive ah well we shall be enchanted if that answer keeps you waiting for some time enchanted you understand gaston was seldom so affable he wanted to mark his good feeling by the emphasis he laid upon the word enchanted he waved his hand to all present and retired as he was speaking with a kind of sonorous measuredness of step making a noise as he walked as if his bones rattled under his dry skin gabrielle felt something in the air but she smiled florence would not look down but she blushed madame emilienne turned pale but these impressions were but momentary everyone recovered self-possession in an instant and they escaped the observation of each other's eyes roger would not go into the house he had dined he said and liked best to be wherever the ladies found it most pleasant he drew up the armchair that his father had left turned it round and made his mother sit down in it as if he wanted to get rid of some spectral impression and then he told them all about his journey trying not to appear embarrassed not as if he had returned after a painful absence with a grave resolve in his heart and a terrible anxiety roger was slender and tall he had his mother's eyes expression and mouth in short the ordinary look of her features but from his father he inherited a certain air of determination which from time to time made itself apparent through all the grace and kindliness of his expression he was never expansive, except with Gabrielle, and then only when he was quite alone with her. He never failed in a sort of constrained respect for his father, which began about the very time that Gaston had forfeited his wife's esteem. The child had, of course, not understood what was passing before his eyes, but it had frightened him. Later, when he had grown to be a man, he felt it an evidence of this respect to assume an attitude of expectation foreseeing that the day might come when he must sit in judgment on his parents and might have to take part against the man who had caused his mother to shed so many tears on behalf of her who had uttered no complaints but had always tried to teach him to love his father had roger listened only to his affections his judgment would have been wholly on his mother's side but he sincerely believed that by keeping up all outward forms of deference, maintaining a sort of filial etiquette in his intercourse with his father, he was preserving his impartiality against the day when he might be called to sit in the seat of judgment, their judge. What thoughtful, intelligent child, even in the happiest family, the most affectionate, the most respectable, does not foresee a possibility that he may be called upon to assume the position of a judge. It is a frightful possibility in most cases. It ought to be the joyful hope of those who are to be judged. We are forced to sit in judgment more or less on those whose love has fashioned us, and in our turn we shall be judged by those whose consciences in infancy are entrusted to our keeping. It is the law of human life. It is an inevitable crisis. When that time comes, when parents have to abdicate somewhat of their authority in favor of the matured intelligence that has grown greater than their own, children should remember all they owe to those who have made them what they have become, not despising them, because in some things they have grown to be their superiors, but learning their own duty when they may become parents by appreciating their own training, and knowing how far filial duty has caused them to enjoy or suffer. End of chapter 5